Grab some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. We're burning daylight. Welcome to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt. Sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Now, here's Jeff Hunt. Howdy, 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 friends. Welcome to another episode of the Frontier Freedom Hour. My name's Jeff Hunt. I'm the chief wagon boss of this operation. Running the board for us is Michael Arpaio and producer Jamie Erker, the mighty one with us as well. If this is your first time tuning in to the Frontier Freedom Hour, welcome. We cover issues facing the Western United States from a Christian conservative perspective. And I'm very excited about this week's show. We have John Malcolm with us. John Malcolm is the vice president of the Institute for Constitutional Government, director of the Mies Center, and the Ed and Sherry Gilbertson, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And we invited John onto our campus just this last week as we celebrated the 235th anniversary of the Constitution. And yes, that's right. There is a university, Colorado Christian University, that is happy to celebrate the Constitution with all those other universities going crazy, going woke, abandoning the founding documents that helped make this country great. We are proud to get students, faculty, staff, and the general public together to celebrate the 235th anniversary of the Constitution. And I'm going to start right away with a question for John, because John, the big question is whether or not the Constitution is going to make it to 250 years. Will this be around for another 15 years? It's, it's a critical question because it's critical to the future of this country. So I'll turn it over to you. Will we still be celebrating the Constitution in 15 years at the 250th anniversary? Well, thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I really did enjoy being out at the campus last uh, week to celebrate uh, Constitution Day. Uh, so yes, I think the Constitution will be will be with us for another 15 years. Uh, and I'm hoping that it is in good shape. It is certainly not uh, in a form that would be recognizable to those people who met in Constitution Hall uh, or Independence Hall in Philadelphia in 1787. Uh, but you know, I, I think that things are headed at the moment in a, in a good path. We have uh, a majority for the first time in my lifetime of, of self-professed originalist justices on uh, on the court. Uh, last term was a tremendous term, both for originalism and for the Constitution, the health of the Constitution. Uh, but that's always subject to change. Uh, so yes, we will have a Constitution. What its health will be remains to be seen. John, you use the term originalist, originalism. It's a term we use at Colorado Christian University. It's a strategic priority to impact our culture in support of the original intent of the Constitution. It seems like the court's going back that way. Now, Ilya Shapiro told me he doesn't like that term. So what does originalism mean? Well, I'm a little surprised that Ilya Shapiro didn't like the last term. Uh, had it been Ilya Soman, I might have uh, felt differently. But OK, I'll have to ask Ilya at some point why he felt that way. So you just referred to original intent. So originalism has been around, it's really around since the founding. It essentially says uh, the Constitution is a written document. It has 
meaning just like the you know the people who ratified it uh, understood uh, and they had vigorous debates in all 13 uh, you know states at the time about uh, how it would be interpreted they had an understanding or a basic understanding as to how it would be interpreted along with the bill of rights which was ratified 3 years after the constitution really sort of incorporated into it from its early days uh, and they had in it a provision article 5 for amending it if future generations didn't like it. So the original intent was basically saying, and Ed Meese started doing this. So originalism, as I say, was the way judges operated for most of our nation's history. That started disappearing with uh, Woodrow Wilson and the progressive movement in the early 1900s, uh, and then dramatically accelerated uh, during the administration of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and continued really up through the Warren Court, the Burger Court. Uh, and Ed Meese in 1985, well, even before that, Robert Bork on the D.C. Circuit said the judges had really lost their way and that the Constitution had meaning. And that meaning was, you know, people were capable of determining what that meaning was. It wouldn't always be easy, but they could look at original writings. They could look at uh, how words were used uh, and in what context uh, at the time that the various provisions were ratified to determine what the meaning of the Constitution was. And that if a judge, this is to paraphrase Judge Bork, looked at anything other than the meaning of the Constitution, he just looked to himself then you know he he was basically rootless in terms of how he he was making it up as he went along, uh, essentially. So in 1985, uh, Ed Meese, the man who you know the, the center that I direct bears his name, uh, gave a speech uh, at the American Bar Association National Convention, talked about the original intent, which is essentially trying to figure out what the framers of the Constitution intended. That is now been changed. I think it was a friendly amendment to that made by really by Justice Antonin Scalia, who said, well, the framers didn't always agree. And it's difficult all these centuries later to determine exactly what the framers intended. But what we can find out is what the meanings of those with the meaning of those words and phrases were to those who you know drafted it, debated it, and the people who ratified it. So now we usually talk about original public meaning. And originalists believe that you should look at the Constitution uh, and try to discern what those words and phrases meant and how they interacted with each other according to their original public meaning, what they meant at the time those various provisions were ratified, possibly supplemented by some rights that everyone assumed was included in the Constitution uh, based on you know, longstanding histories and traditions of our country at the time the Constitution was ratified. You know, John, you bring up a really great point. And um, as someone who studied history and politics, I believe I am a firm believer in the original intent of the Constitution. But I have found a few times when I've voiced that I believe in the original intent. As a woman, I've actually had certain people, when I was even interning in DC, certain people said, how can you believe in the original intent of the constitution when women technically didn't have rights in the constitution? And that's always been an argument that I've always found interesting because I, you know, I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but uh, that's always been the argument I've heard. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, women had some rights under the Constitution. They didn't have all the rights under the Constitution. The Constitution and the Declaration of Independence refer to mankind. Uh, and I don't think that was restricted to men. 
Uh, it is certainly true that, for instance, women did not have the right to vote. Uh, they were eventually explicitly given the right to, uh, right to vote under, you know, amendment to the Constitution. Uh, and then, of course, we have under the 14th Amendment, which was ratified in 1868, the Equal Protection Clause. Uh, and a lot of the rights that were previously denied uh, to women have now, you know, because of the, the 14th Amendment, uh, and intervening case law now uh, are not only are given those rights as applied to Congress, but also given those rights in all 50 states and our territories. Um, you know, the Constitution, when it was originally drafted, wasn't perfect. Uh, so not only did women not enjoy all the rights that men had, you know, people without property did not enjoy all the rights that property owners had. And of course, many uh, black people, particularly those who were enslaved, uh, certainly did not have rights until we had the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, or their rights were limited. Uh, so the Constitution was not perfect, but it was perfectible. Uh, sometimes that, uh, that process of improving the Constitution has been literally bloody, uh, as in a civil war that we fought. Uh, but, you know, it has been amended uh, 27 times, uh, and a lot of issues are not really covered by the Constitution and are left to the states. States have passed various laws uh, to try to improve, uh, you know, the lives of the people who reside within those states as they see fit. Uh, so we have a constant debate about what people's rights ought to be, uh, and some rights are set forward in the Constitution, and other rights uh, really can be debated and should be debated by the people amongst themselves and their elected representatives. And they're matters that are not covered by the Constitution, but they're not prohibited by the Constitution. Uh, and people can then, you know, adapt to adapt their lives as they see fit, both in their private lives and through their elected representatives. We're talking with John Malcolm, the vice president of the Institute for Constitutional Government, the director of the Mies Center, and the Ed and Sherry Gilbertson, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We hosted him recently at Colorado Christian University to celebrate the 235th signing of the Constitution. Is, is signing the right language or was it affirmed at the Constitutional Convention? It was signed. So there were, yeah, so there, there was the 235th anniversary of the signing of the Constitution. Uh, it was actually ratified uh, the following year. Friends, we're going to continue our conversation with John throughout today's show. We're going to talk about the importance and the relevance of the Constitution to the design, the architecture, the freedoms we get to enjoy in this nation. But we're also going to highlight some of these upcoming cases. In fact, the 2022-2023 Supreme Court session has a lot of really important and relevant cases especially to the state of Colorado. We have one that comes directly from the state of Colorado. And so we're going to be talking about that as well. And friends, I got to tell you, Colorado Christian University is a school on a mission. We are seeking to impact our culture in support of the original intent of the Constitution. So stick with us, listen to the commercials and come right back. If you miss anything, Go to FrontierFreedomRadio.com. You can listen there. We'll be right back. 